Thank you, Ike. <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John 16. If you have one of the kids' bulletins, you can write down that the book that we're in is the book of John. The chapter we're going to be in is chapter 16. Now, kids, while you're writing, I actually have a question for you, but it's a question for all of us. Here's the question. How do you feel when you get bad news? How do you feel when, when, when you had an expectation, you thought that something really great was going to happen, but then you find out, no, that's not exactly what's going to happen. In fact, it's worse than that. How do you feel when you get bad news? news like that. Last week, some of you were here in our service last week and participated in different ways. What we saw last week is that the disciples have certain expectations of what's going to happen. They're, they've been excited about Jesus because Jesus is, is bringing a kingdom that they're expecting is going to be awesome. They're going to be set up in a great position. But what did Jesus tell them Last week. Who knows what Jesus said to his disciples that they should expect. How they should be treated by the world last week. Do any of the kids know? That the disciples should expect to be what? Hated. That's not what they were expecting. What Jesus showed them last week is that you should expect to be treated like me. If you live for me, if you live like me, expect to be treated like me. That was a disappointing news. Do you guys ever have, kids, like, do you ever have a time where you're really looking forward to something, and then something happens and you can't do it anymore? You have that? What's it? What do you feel when that happens? Sad? Disappointed? The word that we're going to see in, in our verse today is the word sorrow. That's just a really big sadness. And that's what the disciples have right now. Jesus just told them this news that what they can expect is to be hated, and so they're really sad about that. He's told them some other things that we're going to look at, and they're sad. Now, when you're sad, what do we want? We want comfort. We want that feeling to go away. And what we have in our passage right now is that Jesus is going to give them comfort. Here's the big idea, okay? Embrace Christ's comfort, for he sees our sorrow and supplies the Spirit. Embrace Christ's comfort. We're going to find the comfort that Jesus gives to his disciples in this passage. And we need to hold on to that. And we can know it's comfort because he sees our sorrow. He's not guessing what we need. He's not guessing what we're feeling. He knows what we're feeling. He sees our sorrow and he supplies the Spirit. So that's what we're going to see this morning, okay? Now, before we jump into our verses, we need to remember what's happened. We've already looked a little bit at it. We need to set the scene. So here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of the person that is the most important person to you. 
Who is the person that you feel closest to, that you love the most, that you have a really good relationship with? And imagine if they came up to you and said this. Hey, I love you. And I will love you to the end. That's a good start. That's a good place. That would be a great thing to hear from someone who loves you. Because you love them, so you want to hear that. But then he says, but I'm going away. And you can't come with me. And then he says, in fact, one of you is going to betray me. And most of you are going to deny me. If you really love me the way you say you love me, you're going to follow my commands. But if you loved me, you would have been excited about me leaving, and you aren't. So you really don't love me the way you think you love me. You know how people hated and persecuted me while we were together and spending all of this time together for the last three years? Well, after I'm gone, they're going to hate and persecute you because you love me and I love you. Do you think that that would be fun news to get from someone that you really love? Can you imagine having that talk I love you. I'm going to love you to the end, but I'm leaving. One of you is going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You don't love me the way you think you love me. If you really loved me, you would follow my commands. Also, by the way, if you do follow my commands, they're going to hate you because I'm not here, and so they're going to put the hate that they would give to me, and they're going to put it on you. That's what Jesus told the disciples. How do you think that they responded to getting that news? Was that good news for them? Were they like, yes, looking forward to it. Can't wait to be hated. Man, they're going to persecute us. They were sad. They had sorrow. They're in shock. They're overwhelmed. But here's our first comfort, okay? Because while you're going through, here's what I want, kids. After the service, I want you to be able to remember what the two comforts are. And I'm going to explain some different things. But the main thing I want you to remember is what two comforts that we have. And you should be able to tell your parents, or your parents should be able to tell you. It goes both ways. Here's the first comfort. Christ sees our sorrow. What that means is that Christ knows what we're feeling. I know, you kids, that, that doesn't always work. I, I, my daughter says this to me sometimes when, when something sad has happened and she's crying and then she says this, you just don't understand. Kids, have you ever had that where, where you're talking to someone, you're sad, you have sorrow, and you just look and you say, you just don't understand. But we can't say that about Jesus because Jesus does understand. Let's look at the verses. It says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Jesus knows where their heart is. Christ didn't tell them the things right at the beginning. One of the things that we have comfort here is that Christ always waits for the right time to speak. He didn't say these things to them from the beginning. Why? Because it was too much for them. It wasn't the time. Kids, as you get older, there's going to be things that you're going to find out and learn that are hard. And right now, one of God's protections is to protect you from some of those things until you're strong enough, until he's there with you to help you carry it. For his disciples, he gave them three years where he didn't say these things. Three years where he could teach them, where he could grow them so that they could have confidence. But now, Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me. Who's he going to? Who's Jesus leaving to go see? Because he keeps on telling them that he's leaving. Who's the person that he's going to see? The person who sent him. And who's the person that sent him? The Father. He's going back to be with God the Father. One of the things that we see here is that Christ's timing is perfect and he always follows the Father's sovereign plan. Over and over throughout the entire Gospel of John, Jesus has said, it's not time yet. It's not time for me to do that yet. I'm doing what the Father has told me to do until finally he realizes, wait, this is the time. Now is the time. Now is the hour of the Son's glorification. Jesus also follows that same timing in what he tells us and what he does. He's doing everything according to the Father's plan. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, some of you, while you were looking at this passage, might have thought, wait a second, I'm pretty sure they have asked him. Back in chapter 13, verse 36, Jesus tells them that he's leaving, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? So Peter has asked him before, what does Jesus mean that none of you ask me where you are going? I think that there's two sides of this. Part of it is that they really want to know, were they really seeking to understand where he was going? Was their question genuine? No. When I leave home sometimes, uh, Judah, my son, will ask, where are you going, Daddy? Now, Judah's not actually concerned about where I'm going. The real question he's asking is, are you leaving? Are you leaving? Because I can tell him I'm going to work, I'm going to Home Depot, I'm going. He has no concept. His question is, are you leaving? I think that's part of the questions the disciples were asking then. Where are you going? And Jesus would tell them, this is where I'm going. And they would never ask, seek to understand that for more information. They're more just, wait, are you really leaving? Are you really leaving us? When Jesus said, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced when I told you I was leaving, what, what we're seeing there is that their entire view of this was introspective. Are you leaving me? 
They weren't rejoicing and saying, wait, Jesus, where are you going? You're going to the Father? Tell us about that. Jesus, what is the, why are you doing that? Jesus, we trust you. We know that you have a, a sovereign plan. So talk to us more about that because we're excited about what you're about to do. That's not what they're asking. Their whole concern is, wait, you're leaving me? What am I going to do? I think the other element of this where Jesus says, none of you asks me where you are going, is, is talking about right now. He's saying, look, I've told you this before, and I'm telling you now, and none of you are asking. And then he explains why. Why aren't they asking? None of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Kids, do you know what we're seeing for the disciples? We're seeing that they're overwhelmed. They're in shock. They're in sorrow. You might not have seen this. Some of you have seen this sometimes, but grown-ups get overwhelmed too. All the time. All the time we get to a point where we're like, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do about this? You've just told me all of these things that have changed my expectations. What do I do? Do you know what the great thing is? That the same comfort for the grown-ups is the comfort for you. We all have the same comfort. And the first comfort that we've been talking about is that Christ sees our sorrow. He knows what is in our hearts. Did the disciples say anything? No, in fact, because they said nothing, he knows what's in their hearts. Throughout this entire passage, starting in chapter 13, Jesus has known what's going, going on in them. He knows what's in the heart of Judas. He knows what is in the heart of Peter. He's told them, let not your hearts be troubled. He knows where they're at. One of the hardest things that, that we have when someone gives a solution to us is the question, do they really understand what I'm facing? Or are they just trying to fix my problem? Are they just saying, all right, right, let, let, let me just tell you what to do. Here, here's what you need to do. No, no, wait. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm going through right now? This is what happens with my kids when, when they're crying and I'm just trying to force a solution in and they say, you just don't understand. Can we ever say that about Christ? Can we ever say to Jesus, Jesus, you just don't understand. No. He always understands. Not just what we understand. He understands far deeper than we do. He understands the true reality of what we face. The problems that they're facing are the ones that he has told them. He gets it. That's a comfort for us. The solutions Christ offers come from a deeper and fuller understanding of our problems than we even understand ourselves. Christ sees our sorrow. Okay, so what's our first comfort? You can say it with me. Christ sees our sorrow. Now, is it comforting, though, if you were to, to come up and say, this is all of my problems. This is everything that I'm facing. This is why I'm sad. And someone just says, 
I see that. Some ways, in some ways that's comforting. But there's another side of the comfort that Jesus gives that is greater. He doesn't just see our sorrow. He gives us a solution. He supplies the Spirit. That's our second one, okay? Christ supplies the Spirit. So our first one, you can say it with me. Christ sees our sorrow. The second one, Christ supplies the Spirit. He's going to give us something. So let's look at that now. This is what it says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, let's just remember what's happened. There's been a lot of hard things that have been said. And all of the hard things that are happening are all predicated. They're all happening because Jesus is leaving. They're going to face hate because Jesus is leaving and they're going to be there. They're going to face sorrow because Jesus is leaving. But Jesus says something that seems tricky because they're looking and saying, look, there's an easy way for us to fix this problem. All the reasons I'm sad are because you are leaving. So what would be an easy way for us to fix that problem? Who knows? Don't go. That's an easy fix. Jesus, no, no, yes, we are sad. All of these things that you've said to us, all of these things that you keep talking about, yes, they're the reason we're sad, but we have an easy fix. Don't go. Stay. Jesus, we love you. You love us. Please don't leave. But then Jesus says something really surprising. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Do you know what that means? That it's to your advantage? This is better. This is good. It's not just like, okay, well, here, let me do something that will help. No, this is better for me to go. Because if I don't go, the thing that I'm going to give to you can't come. If I don't go, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you know what Jesus is asking his disciples to do? He's saying, trust me. Do you think the disciples think that his plan is actually better? When your parents have a plan and, they, and something happens, they say, hey, we can't do this, but we have something better, sometimes you're not convinced. Sometimes you're not so sure that that really is better. And so do you know what you need to do? You need to trust them. Unfortunately, sometimes your parents are wrong and it really isn't better. <laughs> but that's not the case with Jesus. When Jesus says, this is better, it's true. He's asking them to trust him. But here's the question. What, what's the part of this verse? If this is the verse that's supposed to give us comfort, what do we have a tr trouble with? Is it the part where he says that he's going away? Do we think he didn't actually go away and that's why we're not comforted because he's still hiding out somewhere? No, we think he went. 
Do we think that he forgot to send the Spirit, and so that's why we're not comforted, because he didn't send the Spirit? No. We see in Acts, at the beginning of Acts, that he really sent his Spirit. Now, the part with these ver- this verse that we have trouble with is where he said, this is better. That's the part we're not so sure about. Why is this better? Because this is how Jesus gives the Spirit. Jesus is showing us there is an order to follow. There's the order of redemption's progressive story. Those are big words. This is what I mean. At the very beginning of the Bible, there was a big problem. What's the big problem at the beginning of the Bible? Starts with an S. Sin. And that sin leads to another S, separation. Because of sin, we're separated from God. If we want another S just to make it fun, it was because of the snake. No, it wasn't really because of the snake. It was because of us. Because we chose to sin. But right when that happened, God gave hope. He said there was someone coming that was going to take care of this problem. Someone that could fix the problem of sin in our heart. And so throughout the whole Bible, there has been a big story of redemption. That means to fix the problem. And so from there, we have just seen more and more information that explains this, and it's progressively happening, but how much do we need to happen for it to be done? When you're reading a book, when are you done the book? At the end. When you get to the middle, if the middle is your favorite part, if you stop it right there, have you reached the end? No. You need to keep going. So part of the order that Jesus is showing is that there's an order of redemption's progressive story. Jesus is doing things according to the Father's plan. But here's the part that we we have trouble with. It's when we get to our favorite part, the part that we we love this part. Like if you're watching maybe a a Disney movie and it's one song that you really love, and then you just play it over and over and over and over and over again, and you drive your parents crazy. But if you get to that part, that's not the whole thing. You need to keep going. We want to pause at the part that we like, but we have to trust God that the whole story, the end of the story is better. The other thing, though, is so what Jesus is saying is, look, the Spirit can't come until I leave because that's how the story moves forward. But the other order that we have is that we have God who is three in one. Now, can I just tell you something that one of the reasons I believe the Bible is because of the Trinity Some people are going to tell you that the Bible is made up. If someone was making up the Bible, and one of their big things is that our God is one, and they start way back in the Old Testament, and they say, behold, your God is one, and then they start saying, and there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If someone were making that up, that gives us more problems than it helps us. If someone were just trying to trick you, they wouldn't do it that way. But if it's the wisdom of God, and he's revealing it to us, then it makes a difference. 
And one of the things that we have in the order is that God is one, but he's three in one. And let me explain that to you. Sorry, I can't. That's beyond me. You ask your parents when you get home. Instead of your parents coming and saying, my child has a question for you. I'm already putting it out. Nope, they can ask you. No, this is beyond us. It's not something that we can totally understand. But we know it's true because God shows that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God. And one of the things that is beautiful about the story of the Bible is that how does this all work? How is this story of redemption, how is the problem going to be fixed, is that we see that God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it in myself. The Father has a plan. The Father is going to send Jesus, the Son. Jesus is going to die for, for people. He's going to be risen up. He's, there's going to be the resurrection. The Father does his part of the plan. Jesus does his part of the plan. And now we're to the next part of the plan. Now it's the time for the Holy Spirit to do his part. Can I tell you why I think that we have a hard time with this verse? I already told you. What's the part that we have a hard time believing? That this is better. If you have an awesome gift, and then someone says, I'm taking that gift away from you, and I'm going to give you something else, and they say it's better, and you don't see it, you're going to have a hard time. Can I tell you why I think that we have a hard time thinking that this is better? Because let's be honest, if I gave you the choice right now, I'm like, hey, I can either give you the physical Jesus to walk with you the rest of your life, to be by your side, or I can give you the Holy Spirit. Which one are you picking? If I just gave you the choice, hey, I mean, what do we, what do we think in our heart? Man, God, if I could just have seen Jesus, if I could have walked with him, that's what we think, that we think that the physical presence of Jesus is, is better than the indwelling of his spirit. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, this is better, what I'm giving to you. Here's part of the, our problem. Part of it is that we misunderstand the terms. Now, there's a lot of different ways that this word about the Holy Spirit, that's the helper we're talking about, are used. Sometimes it's talked about the comforter, sometimes counselor, sometimes advocate. The Bible that we're using says helper. And I think that that's a good term, but there's still some parts of it that make it hard for us to understand. Because the original, when the Bible was written, it was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And the word there is paraclete, which I'm sure you all have understood. It sounds a lot like parakeet, but it's not. Although the Holy Spirit is described as a bird at some times. That's for free. But what we have here, this word that we see here, this paraclete, it's someone who comes alongside and helps. Now here's the problem. I'm going to ask the adults first, because adults and kids see this differently. Parents, if I went to you and, I, and you're doing a job at, at, in the house and I say, if, if your husband or your spouse comes and says, hey, do you want me to give, get you a helper? What do you think of when you think of someone that's going to come over and be a helper? Usually I'm thinking of someone who's subordinate. They're going to be under me. I have my job. They're going to come alongside and help me. 
I'm thinking of someone that might take a few things off my plate, but really the weight of the responsibility is still on me. I'm thinking of a helper that's more of a token piece. I'm thinking of when I go to Home Depot with my two-year-old and they say, oh, are you daddy's little helper? When I think of helper, I think this is my thing that I'm responsible for, that I have to carry, that I have to work through, and I might have a helper to do a few things on the side. That's not what kids think about. And I actually confirmed this. I was thinking about this late last night while I was in my office, so I called my wife on FaceTime, had her wait, get the kids out of bed so I could ask them and make sure. Not the wisest thing to do. When you ask a kid if they want a helper, you send them to clean their room and you say, hey, do you want some help? Do they think that you're going to give them someone who's going to be under them? Do they think that you're going to give them someone who has less skill than they do? Do you think that they're going, that you're going, they're going to, you're going to give to them someone who's going to help maybe with a few things here and there, but really everything's going to be on them? They don't. When you ask a kid, do you want a helper? Do you want some help? They're thinking someone better, greater, more powerful is going to come beside me and help me get this done. And the reason it's going to get done, I have a responsibility, but the main reason it's going to get done is because of them, not me. How do you think Christ wants us to see the helper that he's giving us? Do we see it like adults? Okay, I've got all of these things that God has told me to do. I need to, if I love him, I need to follow his commands. I need to bear witness to him. I need to bear all of these fruit. I need to abide in him. All these things that I need to do. He might give me a helper that just alleviates some of these things, but this is what I have to do. I don't know about you, but that's often how I see the helper, the spirit. But what I need to see it is how my kids see it. Yeah, I've been given something that's beyond me. I can't do this on my own. I, I can't get this all done. I need a helper, someone who is greater than me, someone who can come alongside, who will complete the project through his strength. That's the view we should have when we're talking about the helper. But part of the problem is that we don't understand who we're really being given. We don't see the Spirit as God. If you think about the, some, one of the biggest problems that Jesus faced with the people that he came to speak to, what was the thing that they hated most about him? What was the thing that they were unwilling to accept about him? That he was God. Every time that he talked about himself as God, what did they want to do? They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. In fact, where this is going, where he is going to die, it's because he made himself out to be God. Unwilling to accept it. But was it true? If they had been able to accept that he was God, they would have enjoyed the gift that he was, but they didn't. I think that one of our problems, I think that realistically we know that the Holy Spirit is God, but we just don't treat him like that. We treat him like small g God. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, big hitters. And then there's the Holy Spirit. 
This is what Philip had the problem with Jesus when uh, Pastor Billy preached a few weeks ago. Jesus is saying, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what does Philip say? Show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Did Philip treat Jesus as God? No. Yeah, no, we get it. You're God, but the Father, that's God. And you're God. And Jesus, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But now he's talking about the Spirit. And what do we do? Hey, can I talk to your manager? I've got some problems. No, I've, I've given you my spirit. I get that. I just feel like this is more maybe a God the Father type problem or maybe God the Son. I'd be okay with that. This is a big problem. No, I've given you the spirit. Yeah, I just, I think I'd be more comforted if I could just see Jesus right now. Can, 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 is he available? Can I talk to him? We don't treat the Spirit as the gift that it is, as the comfort we need, because we're not treating Him as God. Why is it better? Why is this progressive plan that Christ has better for us? The indwelling of the Spirit is not a downgrade. This isn't a consolation prize. Hey, I'm leaving. This is going to be really hard for you, but I don't want you to feel like too bad, so here's the spirit. No, this isn't a downgrade. It's an upgrade. The disciples had the physical presence of Jesus, but that did not mean that they had Christ within them. How does that happen? Through the spirit. This is better. It is far better to have the spirit dwell within us than just to have Christ with us physically. The blessing, though, is that we're moving towards that. In the end, we will have both the physical presence of Jesus and the indwelling of the Spirit. But for right now, for our time in the story, the best thing for us is the indwelling of the Spirit. we don't believe that Christ supplying the Spirit is not only for our good, but our advantage, we won't be comforted. And we won't do that if we don't truly treat the Spirit as God, and if we don't understand the work of the Spirit. See, we've already seen the promised work of the Spirit in a few verses earlier. We saw that He was the Helper who will dwell with them forever. He says to them, and I will, in verse uh, 16, and I will ask, of, of chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Yes, Jesus left, but the spirit remains forever. We have the confidence in this word because the Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why can we trust the Bible? Talk to any lawyer. Talk to a police officer. Talk to people who are part of, of convicting people. How reliable are eyewitnesses? Not that reliable. You have 10 people who saw something and they want to talk about it. They all saw something very different. There's studies you can go on YouTube and watch of how people's eyewitness account changes with time. And so if that's true, well, how can we...
we trust this word? Because all we have are the eyewitnesses. That's not all we have. We have the Spirit who carried them along. We have the Spirit who caused them to remember everything that Christ said. This is true because of the Spirit. In our passage last week, when in, chapter, in, in verse 26, it says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. All of these things that Christ is giving, this is why he says it's better. In the rest of Scripture, we see that, that the Spirit reveals Christ. He regenerates Christians. He seals them. He counsels them. He helps them produce fruit. But if we don't believe that Christ supplying the Spirit is not only for our good, but our advantage, we won't be comforted. All right, so kids, what are there are two things? What are our two comforts? First, Christ sees our sorrow. Or Christ sees our sadness. Second, Christ supplies the Spirit. He gives us something better. So now I want to look at a few different things that the Spirit does in our, in our verse here. It says this, this is the specific comfort, that the Spirit convicts sinners. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So there's three things that Jesus is saying right here that the Spirit is going to do. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now here's the thing. These are confusing verses. The first one we're pretty much okay with. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's fine. But then the next two are a little weird where we're like, concerning righteousness. Well, who is he convicting of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer? So I'm just going to explain this. There are many different views on what this means. I'm going to give you my view. And my view is very simple. Christ came, the Spirit does what the Christ came to do. The Spirit continues the work of Christ. Let's think about Christ's ministry in the world. Did Christ come and reveal the sin of the world? He did. In John 7, 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. In John 15, 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In John 3, it talks about that the fact that they reject Jesus, their condemnation remains. So Jesus shows the world that they are convicted, convicts them of their sin. He adds one of the things he came to do on this earth. Jesus also, though, convicts them about his own righteousness because he came and he says look you're not righteous you have sin i am righteous though over and over again in the gospel of john jesus tells them this is who i am i'm the bread of life i'm the light of the world i'm the good shepherd i'm the resurrection and the life i'm the way the truth and the life what is jesus showing them i am righteous i'm your only hope if you don't put your faith in me, then you have no hope because of your sin. You have sin, I have righteousness. But the, 
problem is, even though Jesus showed them and told them so clearly, they weren't willing to follow him. They still thought, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. We can find righteousness somewhere else. But anywhere they looked, it wasn't going to work because the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus came to demonstrate that the ruler of this world is judged. Anything else that we follow that isn't Christ, anything else, that's going to be judged. So do you see that the work of Christ, what he did, convicted people of sin, that it convicted people of his own righteousness, and it convicted people of what the result of this world was going to be, judgment. The Spirit now does the same thing. The reason Christ did all of those things is so that we can see the reality of where we are and then turn to him. The Spirit does this concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Spirit is going to tell the world, hey, you need to see the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus isn't here, but I will bear witness to it. You don't have righteousness in your own. If you are looking for salvation, it is only found in Christ. Concerning judgment, because many are going to find other ways to seek righteousness, but the Spirit reveals that any other way still leads to judgment. So why is it a comfort for us to know that the Spirit has this work in the world? Because of the mission we've been given. Last chapter, Jesus said that we also need to bear witness. We also are to convict the world of sin, to show them this is truth. We also are to point to Christ as the righteous one. We also are to expose the ways of this world as the ways that lead to judgment. But this is that job that kids have that are like, this is too big for me. And that's the comfort that we have because the Spirit is the one that does it. We have a responsibility to do it, but it is the Spirit who bears witness to Christ. We are comforted because He does that with us. The other comfort is in the ministry that the Spirit has in serving Christ in helping Christians. He says, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Guys, why, kids, why, why are the disciples sad? What's about to happen? Jesus is leaving. And what they think is that means is they're going to lose everything that they had with Jesus. All the things that Jesus still had to teach them. All the things that Jesus still had to say to them. All the things that Jesus helped them with. They're going to lose that all. But Jesus says, you're not going to lose it. Because I'm giving you the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit tells you the things that I say. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit will say the things that I say. And it's, it's a little confusing because he says that this, uh, he will not speak on his own authority. That's not saying that the Spirit isn't God, that he doesn't have authority. What he's saying is everything the Spirit does is in perfect unity with me. Just like everything the Son did was in unity with the Father. 
Here's the comfort that we have. That even though Jesus left, we have everything that Jesus was giving. We have everything we need because the Spirit is given to us. The Spirit helps us when we go to the Word. In 1 Corinthians 2, you can read that when you go home. There's a whole passage that talks about what the work of the Spirit does in helping us to understand the things of Christ. Let me read verses 10 through 16. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have the spirit who understands God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, the person that has the Holy Spirit, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The promise is that we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit. So yes, Jesus left, but his comfort is that we can have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit, the Spirit who illuminates, who shows us what his word truly means. Okay, so we all have sorrow. We all have times where we're disappointed, where things don't work out where we have sadness, what is our comfort? What's the first thing that is our comfort? Christ sees our sorrow. But he doesn't leave us in our sorrow. He doesn't just see it and turn his back to us. The second thing that he does to comfort us, what does he do? Christ supplies the Spirit. For all of us, the only way that that can happen is if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. If you have not repented from your sin, you do not have the Spirit. If you have not placed your faith in Christ alone, you do not have this comfort. And yet, for many of us, we have done that, and yet we would still say that we have sorrow. What do we need to do? Embrace this. Understand this. Understand that Christ sees you in your sorrow. Understand that Christ has supplied his spirit. Because this is where we're going next week. Right now, for many of us, we just need to embrace this truth. But when we hold on to it, there is something that happens. The sorrow turns to joy. This is the verse we're going to see next week. John 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Embrace the comfort of Christ, for he sees our sorrow and supplies the Spirit.